Two weeks ago, our new grandson made his debut into the world. After being told that he was well and weighed in at eight pounds, eight ounces, we were told his name. And the first thing I did was check out how many had been registered with his first name of Rishu. In Scotland, since registration began in 1855, the answer is, he's the one and only. His name means wise, strong. Now here's a question when it comes to unusual names. How many of you personally know someone called Judas? I checked that name out too. In Scotland, since registration began in 1855, there have been three boys registered as Judas, two with Russian heritage and one who, given his date of birth, I wondered if he was called after the British heavy metal band Judas Priest, which was formed a couple of years before. And checking the earlier parish records for Scotland, I could find only one back in 1780. So how come we don't know anyone who names their little boy Judas? Well, the reason, as you can probably guess, is because the name Judas is synonymous with treachery. And very few are going to burden their child with a name that can cause potential damage. If you call someone a Judas, you're saying they are not to be trusted, that they're someone who will betray you. Why? because that's what Judas Iscariot did to Jesus 2,000 years ago. So synonymous with his name is his action that he's usually recorded as Judas Iscariot who betrayed him, who betrayed Jesus. Now we don't know a lot about Judas, but here's the most important thing that we do know. He was one of the 12. One of the 12 that Jesus chose to train and teach and spend more time with. We know that Judas would have spent a lot of quality time with Jesus, following him, travelling with him, eating with him, learning from him, hearing him teach about love, forgiveness, mercy, grace and holiness, witnessing all of his miracles. We know that Je Judas prayed because Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We know that Judas was sent out by Jesus to preach and to heal, just as his other disciples were. In terms of experience, whatever you can say about Peter, James and John and the others, you can also say about Judas. He was right there with Jesus. He heard it all, saw it all, experienced it all. So close was Judas to Jesus. He was present at the last meal Jesus shared with his disciples. Not only that, but Judas got a place of honour at the table. He got to sit next to Jesus. At his left hand, we are told, while the Apostle John sat at his right. And before that, even though Jesus knew what was in Judas' heart, he had taken a basin and a towel and got down on his knees and washed Judas's feet. A powerful symbol and example of humility, love and service. Hours later, Jesus would be in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas wasn't with him, but Judas knew where he would be because Judas was part of that inner group. And later he would go there and greet him in the traditional way of greeting one's rabbi, by kissing him. The only thing was it would be the kiss of death. Jesus would be betrayed by a kiss. And you have to ask the question, how could Judas be with Jesus for three years, hear and see and experience all that he did, yet betray him by selling him for 30 pieces of silver, 
the going rate for a slave, and then seal his act of treachery with a kiss. There are several theories why. The first is that he was simply greedy, that he did it for the money. The thing was, very soon he realised the full enormity of what he had done and he declared, I have sinned by betraying an innocent man to death. And he tried to give the money back, he tried to undo what he had done, but it was too late. And the response of the chief priests and elders at the temple was, what do we care about that? That is your business. Secondly, it's been suggested that Judas may have been trying to force Jesus' hand, that Judas, like many others, was expecting a Messiah who would overthrow Rome and Roman oppression by rallying the people and leading a revolt. Judas knew Jesus had the power and he also had the following and support of the common folk. And when it became apparent that Jesus was not going to do those things, it's been suggested that Judas developed a plan. He created a series of events which he felt would force Jesus to defend himself against the Romans and a battle between the Jews and the Romans would result. The third and perhaps in some ways the most uncomfortable theory is that Judas was simply chosen by God to be the betrayer. But that raises questions. God has given us free will, and that's not something he takes away in order to control us as a puppet master. We believe God chooses us. We believe God gives us opportunities to serve him, but we are not robots. We always have the choice to follow God's leading or not. And God's leading is about life, life in all its fullness, not death. And Judas' actions led to death. Not only Jesus' death, but his own. In one sense, his motives don't matter. Precisely why he did what he did will probably always be a mystery to us, but the record is perfectly clear about what he did. In short, he planned the details and carried out his plans to the letter. He meant to betray Jesus and that's exactly what he did, but what he did was used by God. Now, to be fair, Judas was not the only one who betrayed Jesus. He may have been the one who literally sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, but figuratively speaking, all of the others did the same. They, they left Jesus, denied him. They all betrayed him in some way. The difference between Judas and the other 11 is that Judas tried to fix it by himself. First he took his problem to the authorities, he tried to return the money, but they didn't want to know. They told Ju Judas to deal with it himself, and that's where he made his last foolish mistake. You see, he should have done what Peter and the other disciples did, and go to Jesus. After the resurrection, the women at the tomb were told, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet Jesus in Galilee, and that's what they did. Even Peter, who denied Jesus and lied about knowing him, was ready to go to Jesus, and because he did, he was forgiven and found life. And what was true for those first disciples is true for us. If we come to Jesus, even if we think our faults and failings are too great, and we think we're not good enough, not worthy, we're assured that it's there that we can find forgiveness, 
and that we can find life. Life in all its fullness.